Well, good morning. I'd like to read to you from God's Word. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, that the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah. And others said, One of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you're with us today, whether you're here with us today or whether you're watching with us online. My name is Ken, and I want you to know whether you're black or whether you're white or whether you're brown or some other color, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're young or whether you're old or whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you don't know, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, whether you consider yourself gay or whether you consider yourself straight or something else, whether you love Jesus or whether you're not sure about him yet, This is a place where you will be loved, and this is a place where you will be accepted. You are loved and accepted because we here are Jesus' church. This place is not the church. The, The people here who understand that Jesus is their God and King are the church. Jason, am I having a problem with this mic? Okay, okay. (laughs) Let me repeat that. This place is not the church. The people who understand Jesus is their God and King are the church. Our King, Jesus, came to love all people. And Jesus loves us not because of any of the identities that I mentioned before. He loves us because of the identity that he gave us when he created us, he made us in his image, in the image of God. So his love for us is not about what you have done in your life so far. It's about what he has started in you and what he desires now to perfectly complete in you. Today, our message is, who is this? And that is the most important question we can ask about King Jesus. And friends, I challenge you not to answer that too quickly. Because we can give a trite answer, a simple answer. And yet, it is something that we can wonder on infinitely. You know, in our journey over the last couple of years through the book of Luke, um, you know, we, we, we've been learning about Jesus and, and the disciples have been traveling with Jesus for some time now. And they're in about the midpoint of their journey, their earthly ministry with him. And yet even the ones following so closely with him have not really fully grasped who this man is yet. From the start of his ministry, they should have had a clue. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came down from heaven and said you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased you know in the ancient world 
to say something was the son of something was to say it had the same substance of something. God was revealing that Jesus had the same substance, the same thing as God. He, he had all the same attributes. God's pleasure in him shows that Jesus had sinless perfection in his human form. God, spirit, descended on Jesus. This is an anointing confirming visually for all the world to see that Jesus was unique in all humanity as our anointed ruler and king. Yet, with all this evidence of his identity, Jesus still had to complete his ministry. His ministry was to be fully man and to be fully God and to die for us. So at this point, the world did not bow down and just start worshiping him. Instead, Jesus let them continue to ask, who is this? Today, in this world, there are many fans of Jesus. They like his teaching. They like the sentimental stories about his compassion. Some like the moral superiority they feel by knowing more about him than others. Some like to identify with the proper Jesus team. And they like to put down other Jesus teams. Many philosophically agree with what they understand Jesus' values to be, like the golden rule. And they may even attend houses of worship, but they're not really convinced of his identity. They don't really follow Jesus, the person, as Lord. They follow a religion, a tradition. And yet there are others that question very openly, who is this? Why should he tell me how to live? Jesus might have been some mystical, spiritual teacher who had some cute sayings, but they're not really that relevant to my modern life. There have been lots of great spiritual teachers like Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius. They all said basically the same thing. I'm spiritual after all. Who is this man, Jesus, that everybody makes such a big deal after? And there are others who are saying, the natural world is all I need to know about. I can't be bothered with some guy who died over 2,000 years ago. Many in the crowd of those who say they follow and those who don't follow have never really sought deeply for the answer of who this is. Many know a lot about him, but they don't know him. We are not saved by our faith in his moral teaching. We are not saved by identifying with him or how much we know about him. We are saved by trusting in who he is. So today, let's look closely at Luke 9, 18 through 22, that we might discover 
that it may be revealed to us who he is. In verse 18, it says, Now that he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and Jesus asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And, and, and Luke starts his gospel here recording something different from Matthew and Mark in their gospels. They, they report a place, the, the district of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi. And Luke is the only one that records Jesus praying. Luke highlights prayer at very critical times of revelation during Jesus's earthly ministry. At his baptism, Jesus was praying right before God's confirmation of his pleasure in Jesus. Before Jesus called his 12 apostles, his disciples, Luke records him praying. Luke records um, praying before Peter, John, and James witnessed the transfiguration where the father said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And Jesus was also praying during the temptation at the Mount of the Olives where Olives when the angels were revealed that came and strengthened him. Jesus also prayed on the cross before he gave up his life. And in Luke 23, 46, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And a Roman centurion, one of the men who had just participated in executing him, had the revelation from God of his identity and starts praising God, saying exactly what God did in different words at his baptism. This man is innocent. Now, the centurion was not a follower of Jesus. He was a torturer of Jesus. And he was probably risking his life by expressing his belief in the Son of God. What I believe gives us the real answer of who is this comes from supernatural revelation like what happened to that centurion. The answer to who is this comes through prayer. Not just knowledge and facts about Jesus. Because maybe the son soldier knew facts. He, he wondered who this was. Maybe he'd heard the, the rumors about who this was. Maybe he had seen the mocking. Maybe he'd been part of it. Maybe he had put the sign above Jesus' head saying, this is the king of the Jews. Jesus was a condemned crim criminal like thousands he had witnessed. And maybe he had probably heard that he claimed to be innocent. But walk into any prison today and you'll meet thousands of condemned men that will say they are innocent. It's like the movie Shawshank Redemption where Red says to Andy Dufresne, don't you know everyone in here is innocent? But I believe it was because of Jesus's prayer for his enemies, us on the cross, for God to have mercy, that it was revealed to this centurion that Jesus was the innocent son of God. 
And that's why this Gentile soldier was the first one to start praising him. Beloved, we need to remember this as we go fishing. We can't just tell people information about Jesus. We have to pray to God to reveal Jesus to them. Today, if you are uncertain about who Jesus is, pray. Pray right now for God, not me, to tell you and ask him to reveal Jesus to you. Friends, pray for others today that listening to my voice, my flesh and blood cannot reveal Jesus to you. God's Holy Spirit, let him come and reveal Jesus Christ to you. Jeremiah, the prophet, said this, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you of great and hidden things that you have not known. Today, God, come and tell us of things we do not know. As I said, this text today was a turning point in Jesus' ministry because before this the disciples, they were asking. They were still asking, who is this? Remember when they were out in the boat and he calmed the wind and the waves with a word and they were afraid, they cried out, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? And when they, when Jesus cast out 2,000 demons from a man in a Gentile country, I wondered, did they think, who is this that even the demons obey him with the word go? And we know they're not thinking the Alpha and the Omega. Otherwise, Peter would never have asked him how Jesus knew a woman touched him in a crowd that was pressing in a day later. And then Peter is invited into a a special meeting where Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. And his buddies then were given the power to cast out demons and actually heal people by Jesus. But, you know, they're still wondering, who is this? Because if they had known, they wouldn't have come up to him and asked him, how are you going to feed these 5,000 people? And then ordered Jesus to send them away. So even though these men served him and they followed him, they did not understand who he was until this moment when Jesus prayed. And he prayed for his father to reveal it to them. For them to truly follow and for us to truly follow and fish. Jesus needed them to go deeper because for these disciples, things were going to get tougher. And so Jesus asked them a question. He says, who does the crowd say that I am? The crowd and the ultra-religious we're caught up in what Jesus did, not in who Jesus was. But what's important 
is in who Jesus was. Some in the crowd today say that Jesus never claimed to be God. That he was just some great teacher. That he was just some great healer. And that ancient people were confused. Actually, the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, were not confused by what Jesus was saying about his identity. They were offended by what he was saying. Luke 5, it records that the Pharisees said, Who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they said that when Jesus told a paralyzed man, a man that was paralyzed from birth, that he was forgiven. See, the Pharisees knew that deranged people try to claim to be God. And they were accusing Jesus of being one of them. But then Jesus backed up his claim and said, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive its sins. And he looked at the man who was paralyzed and said, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he was lying on. And he went home, glorifying God. It was a clear demonstration that he was God. Yet the Pharisees seemed more concerned with his doctrine and what he did than who he was. And people every day start asking, who is this? The common people started asking, and the politicians like Herod were asking, Who is this? And so the disciples answered Jesus and they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say the prophets of old. One of them has risen. As I said, most people today are more like fans of Jesus than followers. Some think that he's more like John the Baptist, a great man, a prophet, a teacher. Still others, in the first century, hearing this miracle, hoped he was Elijah. Elijah was a man who was taken up in a whirlwind by God. He did not see death. And the people saw Elijah like a legendary superhuman. He he, he was somebody that there was a lot of buzz about. He, He was somebody that would oversee the deeds of mortals like an avenger to comfort the faithful, to help the needy. He was a forerunner of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And the Hebrew nation at that time was occupied by Romans. And their religious leaders like Herod were corrupt. And there was a great hope in the land for a great hero to come and put their Hebrew team on top again. But there were others that hoped for a great prophet. a great prophet that would bring reform to their religious system. And Moses had spoken of a prophet kind of like Jesus. In Deuteronomy 8, 18, I will raise up for them a prophet 
like you, a prophet like you from among your brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all I command him. See, the crowd is always looking for a charismatic leader. They're looking for a holy man, even today, a new champion, a hero that will come around and solve all of life's problems. Who is Jesus to them? It is someone who is going to restore them to greatness again. Help them to have their best life right now. Jesus was a common man that seemed to care about regular people and say they hoped he was their conquering leader from God to fix their lives. But then Jesus asked his disciples a very personal question. Who do you say that I am? See, the theories and the opinions of the crowd and the religious don't really matter. There are going to be people that love Jesus, and there are going to be people that hate Jesus. What really matters if you're going to follow him is what you believe about his identity. If Jesus really is who he says he is, It doesn't matter what the crowd thinks. We tend to have the false belief what is popular is true. And we follow celebrities in our world. And yet Peter blurts out the most risky thing imaginable. Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And his answer is correct. Jesus is God's anointed king or Messiah. But his answer does not come from Peter's perception of Jesus in the flesh. His amazing revelation does not come from the miracles he's witnessed Jesus do. Because others have witnessed those as well and they did not see that. So Jesus tells Peter that his revelation came directly from God himself. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The I Am revealed himself to Peter in the man, Jesus Christ. Beloved, Scripture tells us there was nothing in the appearance of, of Jesus in the flesh that revealed his glory. Jesus had no special glow, no great charisma, no long, beautiful, flowing hair like the pictures show, no wealth, no charming personality. Isaiah 53, 2 through 3 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
See, Jesus was not at all like other men. He was not like the other men the crowd was seeking. He was not like the other men the crowd was seeking throughout history. Most men have sought holy men, teachers, and leaders who brought glory to themselves. Jesus is unique among men. A man who sought only to bring glory to God. And Jesus affirms the revelation Peter had in Matthew's gospel. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. (laughs) And friends, that's a very misunderstood verse by the religious. And I think it's because men and women seek their own glory. And so they interpret this verse to mean that the church is built upon Peter. And then on a succession of popes who are to be little Christs on earth, who ordain themselves in fancy clothes and live in beautiful palaces. But when Jesus says you are Peter, Jesus is making a little joke. And the religious don't often get a joke. They don't often have a sense of humor. In the Greek, Peter is the word petros, which means little stone or piece of rock. But when Jesus says, on this rock, he uses the word petra, which means great rock or cliff. The revelation of who he is, is the bedrock on which his church is built. Not Peter, the little stone. Peter's new revelation that Jesus is God, God's unique and anointed king and savior to us all is the key, friends, to the kingdom. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Peter is not the way, and neither is any church, any denomination, any pastor, any human leader. Our little stone, Peter, is just the first disciple of the church to receive this revelation of who Jesus was. Anybody else that God reveals this revelation of who Jesus is, is then God's true church. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 5. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. We don't enter the kingdom through a denomination or through a set of doctrines taught by men. We become his church when God reveals Jesus' identity as God and king. And by faith, we believe it. All his true church are there based on the revelation of one doctrine alone. The belief that the man, Jesus Christ, is our God, our King, 
and our Redeemer, whose by innocent, his innocent blood alone, our sin is removed through our faith by grace alone. Jesus is the key that unlocks the kingdom to us. Now, Peter, looking at this sweaty, dusty man next to him, even with all the miracles he has seen, could have no idea who this guy is next to him. He could not fathom the immeasurable greatness of the power towards those who would believe in him would have. Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says this about Jesus. He is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yes, Jesus had just made a lot of bread and fish for 5,000 people. But Peter probably had also maybe heard him burp in the tent the night before. And I'm sure Peter didn't even know the gravity of the revelation that just came out of his mouth. Jesus strictly charged and commanded his disciples to tell no one what Peter had just said. Why would Jesus do that? This is the greatest news ever. God is with us. God is our buddy. We just had dinner with him last night. We are untouchable. We can now go kick some Roman butt. Beloved, that's exactly why Jesus said, do not tell anyone it was the title that Peter used God's anointed Messiah it was not wrong it was true Jesus was the one that Jeremiah prophesied about behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jeremiah 23. But see, this word, anointed Messiah, king, had a political hope and had a political agenda to it that was in people's flesh. It was in the people's flesh and the people of Israel. It was all about making Jerusalem great again. It was not so much about God's kingdom in their hearts it was about restoring their kingdom it was it was about them having their best life now god's design has been and always will be that he would be israel's king but israel had rejected god's rule and he chose human rulers with humans, or, I mean, sorry, but Israel chose human rulers. And those human rulers had human agendas that often took 
God's people away from God. They took them far from God. And Jesus had come not to restore the kingdoms of men, but to bring a new kingdom where God himself would rule us perfectly and directly in love for his people. There were to be no hierarchies and rulers. There's none mentioned. Jeremiah 30, 22 says, God saying, you shall be my people and I will be your God. Many today ask who this Jesus is because his kingdom is not what they want or what they expect because it's based on love and it's based on freedom instead of what men's kingdoms are built on fear and control. Jesus' own disciples were used to men's kingdoms. So in their minds, I bet they even started having new agendas, agendas Jesus didn't have. And so Jesus starts to give them a new revelation of his kingdom. Verse 22, he says this, the son of man must suffer things and be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. See, Peter's revelation only shared what Jesus would do. Be king. And anybody could have their own agenda in their minds for that king. But Jesus instead described who he was, who he was going to be to the disciples. See, most people ask people what they do. But Jesus was asking his disciples a much deeper question. Who do you say I am? What is my nature? What is my character? And what Jesus said is the perfect revelation of who Jesus is. The perfect revelation of who God is. His character, friends, is love. But Peter doesn't get it. He doesn't understand And he starts to rebuke Jesus for what he has just said. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Come on, Jesus. I have a better plan. Never mind that you're firstborn of all creations. Let's ignore the fact that you and the Father have been planning in love since before the foundation of this earth. Let me explain things to you, Jesus, how God should act. It's time for us to be great. It's time for us to have our best life now. Hey, let's get a big crib in Rome with lots of art. And let's kick the Romans out. Let's build big temples all over. And we can franchise this bread and sushi thing all over the globe. I'm telling you, Jesus, this thing's going to be big. 
forget all this dying stuff. For, forget all this talk about suffering and all this, this talk about blood. Come on, Jesus. Got to think big. That blood stuff makes people uncomfortable. The way to fill a temple is good music and lights. Maybe some costume. How about a big pointy hat? Come on, Jesus. Let's, let's do it this way. And Jesus looks at his formerly star pupil and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Beloved, the only way you're going to know God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are so many today who just want to associate with the greatness of the popularity of his name. They hope in the greatness of his name to ensure their success in life if they give him a little time. They hope in his, the greatness of his reputation that if they acknowledge him, he'll give them eternal life. But so far... God has not revealed to them through the gospel who he is. His goodness and his love. It is only through the gospel that we know God. So again, let's look at what Jesus says about himself. The son of man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. See, Jesus very rarely calls himself Christ. Or anointed. The, the demons did. And men who tried to derail his agenda. Jesus' favorite description of himself in the scriptures is the son of man. And he's not being ambiguous or hiding his identity. He's being crystal clear about who he is, his sovereign rule. It, the title comes from Daniel 7, 13 through 14. But it doesn't have the political baggage that the word Messiah or anointed had. And Jesus right here says, the son of man must suffer. Must means it's planned. This shows the character and the nature of God's love. His suffering for us has been ordained, planned, since before the foundation of the world. In love, God would send his eternal son in human flesh to suffer and die for us. Jesus is not saying, don't tell people who I am He's saying, I'm going to show you and the world who I really am. I really am love. I'm going to be stretched out on a cross for you all to see that God loves you this much. Many, like Peter, can know that God is king and rules and still not know that he rules by love. 
the gospel says he must. The cross was not optional for Jesus. Friends, having gospel conversations and telling about people about his love for us on the cross is not optional for his true church. You don't know God until you know Christ's suffering on the cross for you personally. Man was not looking and is not looking for a suffering God and King. But a suffering God and King is what God has planned. Jesus was identified with suffering from the fall that the serpent would bruise his heel. And Isaiah the prophet revealed his suffering in chapter 53, verse 10. He said, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and that he has put him to grief. That word will is better translated pleasure. It was God's pleasure. He loved you that much to crush his own son to save you. What kind of love is that? Man, like Peter, just wanted to know Jesus without knowing or admitting their own sin. For the revelation of Christ to come to you, Jesus says you must allow him to suffer for you. Jesus said God's love is revealed to you through his suffering and death for us on the cross. He came to destroy your sin, to put it to death. If God has not convicted you that your sin must be put to death, then God's character and identity of Christ has not yet been revealed to you. How can we live comfortably in something God has come to die in Jesus Christ for? Friends, we we must repent and, and turn from sin and turn to God. Jesus was rejected. Why? Because he was full of grace and he was full of truth, just like his father. God loves sinners. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to save us all from the sin that was destroying us. Why did the crowd reject him? Because they wanted anointed kings, somebody more like Elijah that would call down fire on their sinful enemies. They wanted a great man like John the Baptist who confronted and condemned the corruption of their sinful enemies. They wanted a prophet like Moses who would come down and lay down the law so they could live separated from the sin of their enemies. They wanted a king like David who could come and defeat and kill their sinful enemies. But Jesus is unique. He was different. He came full of grace, demonstrating love to sinners and speaking the truth that we are all the enemies of God because of our sin. 
And instead of inflicting the wrath of God, he came to suffer and die and receive his own just wrath for us. He, he was there to receive the just penalty we deserved to redeem us in his love by his mighty power of his love. Not to destroy us in his fury, but to love us to redemption. Jesus describes himself as the one who will be raised on the third day. Friends, this was not on anybody's radar. Even the disciples did not expect Jesus to be raised after he said he would be. That is why they all ran and hid and sent the women to check on his body after crucifixion. It was, though, on the prophet Hosea's radar 800 years earlier. He said, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. So who is the real Jesus? The real Jesus. He is the one who is identified as resurrected from the dead after three days. Friends, you can visit great human teachers' tombs like Buddha and Muhammad or any great leader in history. But Jesus is unique. You will find no bones in any tomb. And you never will. Because he is alive today. And he is alive forever. He is the son of man. The ancient of days. The eternal God. The one who sits at the right hand of the father. And if you don't know that Jesus is alive bodily today. You don't know God. And you don't know who he is. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with one heart, one's heart one believes and is justified. And it's with one's mouth one confesses and is saved. Beloved, beloved of God, is your heart convinced or convicted to confess Jesus as Lord and accept his rule and follow him as your God and as your King? the one who came in the flesh because he loved you? Is your heart convicted that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he died to forgive your sins? He earned your forgiveness on the cross, justifying you before a holy God, a God who loves you, that the Son of God gave His life for you? Is your heart 
convicted and convinced that you are saved forever because he has risen. He has defeated your sin. He has defeated the power of the devil over you. And he has freely given you the gift of everlasting life by your faith in him as the eternal son of God. Is your heart convinced? If so, then worship him and be at peace this day. If not, I'm going to pray and others pray that the Holy Spirit come right now and convince your heart. Let Jesus come to you and reveal the truth of who he is to your heart. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you right now. And I've said all that I can say, and I ask that the Holy Spirit come. Come and convince our hearts of our sin. Come and convince our hearts of our need for you and how good and loving and merciful you are that you came and died for us to forgive us. Oh, Lord, come through the power of your Holy Spirit and convince us that you are coming back soon. And we can't wait. We need to make a decision and be convinced of who you are. For while you're gentle and kind and and give us time to come to this knowledge, there's a day that will come accountable to all that you've said to us, every word. Father, let us come to the point right now, if there's anybody here that hasn't come to that point of being convinced in their heart, reveal to them by your mercy and by your love who you are and the great awesome power of your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. as we worship him if you feel led that you need prayer God's revealing something to you come I'll be here to pray with you